Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD, specifically Slackware 14.2. Um, of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. Last we left off, we were in the G section of the D for developer package uh, software series of Slackware. And so we're down to, we got down to get text tools. We're finished with that. And the next item on our list is GNU COBOL. GNU COBOL being a programming language, but the package itself installs cobconfig, cobc, and cobc run. Of those three, I think I want to start with cobc first, because that's the compiler. Now, from what I've read, and I don't have any actual evidence, like, well, could I get evidence? Could, could we look at uh, cobc in info pages? Not really. Can I look at cobc man page? No, there are, no. So I have no way to verify this. What I've read, though, is that this is actually a transpiler, meaning that it takes COBOL input and compiles it into a C binary. So there's some translation happening, and what comes out in the end is not technically... I mean, it's not like a, a, COBOL, a COBOL application, I guess. It's, it's a C application. So well, I'll go to my demo directory. I'll make a new directory called COBOL, I guess. It's a directory name I never thought I would ever need. And I'll do COBOL dot... or no, I'll do hello dot COB. Cob, I guess. Cob, anyway. And uh, I don't know a whole mu- mu- a whole lot about COBOL, but um, I'm going to kind of step through some of the learning points. I, I actually calling them something that I've learned is probably being rather generous. Um, I've been thoroughly confused by COBOL. So I know that COBOL, first of all. Um, COBOL was written, you know, back in like 1959, I think, and it stands for Common. Uh, business-oriented language, so it it I feel like it had a pretty specific purpose in mind when it was developed, and apparently it still kind of is. I mean, it's still apparently used a lot by by a lot of organizations as of I don't know, like 2016. Like there was a survey that that found you know that COBOL was was active in active use for mission-critical applications for lots and lots of different um, businesses and organizations. So it's a big deal still, and it's one of those things that you just don't hear that much about probably in everyday life. The first year I was here in New Zealand, I think it was the first year, 2013, 2014, something like that, I happened to be at a tech conference, and I happened to run into someone uh, who was a COBOL programmer, just randomly. And I think at that point, I'd already kind of heard that COBOL was still a thing, but I was I was surprised to have just happened across a, a living example of someone who was, you know, making their daily living off of COBOL code. Now that said, if you, uh, unless you, I guess you hunt really hard for, for information about COBOL, it, it's not exactly just sort of sitting out there ready for you to discover. You kind of have to poke around and really, really work at least that's what I've been finding, to figure out sort of really the the basics of COBOL. 
and I've cobbled together information about COBOL along, like COBOL the language itself, along with information about GNU COBOL, the compiler, or actually I think it's a transpiler, because it doesn't actually compile the COBOL into, um, like, I guess a COBOL executable. It, it technically transpiles it into a C uh, language, I think, and then spits out an ELF. That, that's what I've been... That's, that's what I have read, and I think that's correct. Anyway, I've, I've had to cobble together the bits and pieces, because GNU COBOL documentation, justifiably, talks about GNU COBOL, the compiler. Like, that's what it's documenting, is the compiler. It assumes that if you're using that tool, you're familiar with COBOL. Like, why would you be using the co- compiler? And certainly you wouldn't read compiler documentation to learn the language that it compiles, so that's fair. But that also means that you have to look elsewhere for information about COBOL, the language, but unfortunately a lot of the things out there about COBOL, the language, don't use GNU COBOL, at least as far as I've found so far, as the... I say so far as if this is an ongoing investigation. I'm done with COBOL. I'm never going to. Go, I'm not going to ever go back to COBOL after this episode. So everything I've discovered up to now is as much as I'll ever know about COBOL. I think. Um, so what I have found is that when you're looking for resources about COBOL, you may find tutorials on how to write the language. But then in those examples, they're going to assume that you've got some other COBOL toolset installed, not GNU COBOL. And if you want to do, you know, if you, so if you want to do COBOL, you, you may have to like learn COBOL and then learn a specific compiler or, I don't know, you're going to have to do some, some combining of, of information, of data sources. So COBOL generally is divided into sections. There are a couple of different um, sections in a in a in a program. There is only one of them that is mandatory, and that is the identification division. The identification division is the part of the of the script of the COBOL code that you're writing that identifies the program. And there's a uh, an attribute, I guess, program ID is the mandatory line of code, which I, I think in COBOL they call um, they call that a paragraph, um, from what I understand. Uh, or, or maybe it's a sentence. I'm not super clear on that. Um, COBOL uses a dot to end, um, I believe, a paragraph. So, in other words, you can think of a dot in COBOL as you might think of a semicolon in... C++ or Java, if you're inclined to think about semicolons in anything. Um, so the the first, if we were to write a little hello world application, one might write, for instance, um, identification division. Actually, I'm going to write this in a new file. I'll call it new.cob, which to you sounds weird, but to me this makes sense because of all the different screens that I have up on my on my on my computer. So um, the the first line then is going to be identification division, and that's all capitalized, and then it ends in a dot because that's one I think a paragraph or a sentence. I'm not sure. Um, and then I think it might be both a sentence and a paragraph because it ends in that. It terminates in that dot. So the required attribute, or, or whatever it's called, command, method, whatever, is program ID dot, and then we'll call this hello dot. Okay, 
so that's where we we are technically we have technically written i believe a valid cobol application but typically you want more than just an identification division that that doesn't ex- that doesn't actually execute any code so in, instead or or rather um to continue we're going to create a procedure procedure division dot and then on the next line I'll do a display command display quote hello world close quote and then of course terminating it with a dot and then the last line of my little hello world application is stop run dot and that's it that's my application called new or in a file called newcob now here's where the real test comes into play and that is of course the application being demoed here, which is the cobc compiler. So if I do cobc new.cob, it tells me that there's an error on line 1, invalid indicator f at column 7. So I'm going to cat new cob and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Yep, it's the seventh character. Uh, identification, f is the seventh character, and I don't know why that's an invalid indicator. And according to all of the tutorials that I've found online, that should be working. Okay, so I'm going to open that back up, and I'm going to... This sounds really weird, I know, but I'm going to indent this. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven spaces. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm doing that to every line. And the reason I'm doing that is because, um, based on on some trials and tests and just general acts of desperation, that that has proven to be the the thing that works to compile this. So I've saved that. If I cat new cob, I see that I have lines of code that are indented exactly seven characters, and then I'm going to do a cob c dash. Well, actually, I'm going to do a cob c new.cob it doesn't give me an error and if i do an ls i see that there is a new.so so a shared object file right so if i do file new.so tells me that this is a shared object elf 64-bit lsb blah 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 well that's not really what i wanted so what i'm going to do instead is cob c dash dash help review all of the different options eventually i find that dash x means produce a executable file. So cobc-xnew.cob, that doesn't give me an error. If I do an ls, there is now a file called new. So if I do a dot slash new, it spits out hello world. There you go. That's your COBOL hello world application. Why on earth do you have to indent it exactly seven characters? Don't know. There's no... There's nothing on any site that I've been able to find so far. And, um... I say that in such a way that makes it sound like I have scoured the internet for hours and hours, and that's not true. I, I could have looked harder, but it's that's a weird quirk that I haven't been able to explain just from reading tutorials. And I, I haven't, rather purposefully, I have not investigated exactly what's going on here. I haven't typed into a search engine, you know, indent COBOL code seven spaces or something like that. I haven't, I haven't done a, a pointed search. I have, I'm trying to glean this from existing documentation, and so far, no one seems to mention the fact that, like, for whatever reason, it 
needs to be indented seven characters in order to compile. However, that said, what is mentioned is that, quote, modern COBOL, um, or the modern style of coding, um, is, it can be seen as um, a free source format, rather than the default of COBC, which is fixed source format. So that the first character of your program must start on character 8, right, because I've indented 7, so the 8th one is the first valid one, apparently. That kind of says to me that there's some kind of... I mean, that that's... Uh, 8 is a very significant number, so that, that just seems like it's significant f- for maybe historical purposes. I don't know why the first one would have to be empty, like the first 8 would have to be empty, and then the 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 next one would start. I don't know what that's all about. What I'm trying to say, though, is that if I go into hello.cob, which I've written... Nope, sorry, it's not that one. It's this other one. Yep, okay. So let's pretend like it's hello.cob. You don't know the difference. So um, in hello.cob, I have that same program written with no indentation. If I do a cob c-x on hello.cob, I get the error... There's a problem in column 7, it's an F, and nobody knows what to do with that. It's an invalid indicator. Well, cobc-x-free hello.cob does not error. And in fact, it gives me a an executable, which I can do a dot slash hello, and it spits out hello, comma, world, exclamation point, because this one I did a little bit differently. And so that, that works. So in other words, COBOL code um, seems to be very aware of white space, and uh, if you attempt to write a program destined for COBC in, in COBOL, I would hope is what you would be writing it in, um, then you probably want the dash dash free flag. I'm actually kind of wondering if there's ever any time you wouldn't want the dash dash free flag. In other words, even if I give it, I guess we could try that, COBC dash x dash dash free new.cob. So that's written in the fixed style, but I just gave it the dash dash free flag and it did compile it. I mean, this is a very simple application, so that might change the more complex the application becomes. But I, I don't know when one would not want the free flag, but dash dash free does seem to be a very useful technique. Now, quite honestly, um, it took me so long to sort of figure that out that I didn't really get into anything else. Like, I don't know how to do loops, I don't know how to do input, I don't know how to do comparisons, I know nothing about COBOL outside of a Hello World application. And on the one hand, I feel like that's um, that's not really a great way to demo COBC, but on the other hand, this isn't about COBOL, the, applica- the, the language, this is about COBC. And so COBC um, produces ELF, binaries that runs on Linux from COBOL code. That's what this does. And through that very simple Hello World application, um, I've demonstrated that it is possible. It it does work. It does produce both uh, executables and shared objects, depending on what flag you issue. And it does so with a variety of standards. So, for instance, just as you can specify a very specific standard of C++, like C++11, C++14, whatever the next one is, um, dash std equals, and then a dialect, so COBOL2002, COBOL85, IBM, MVS, BS2000, MF, and 
default, which is when not specified. So you've got a couple of options there. And of course, the dash dash free versus dash dash fixed tells you tells the compiler what to expect in terms of formatting. You can also optimize just as you can with GCC. And in general, a lot of these options are going to look familiar to you once you've looked through GCC. I don't know why this isn't sort of part of the GCC package. I mean, probably because it's not part of the GCC, but but they're definitely nice, very, very kindly using some of the same traditions here. You got a d dash capital W to enable all warnings, or you can do a dash capital W for specific things like dash, dash capital W obsolete warns you if an obsolete feature is being used. Dash capital W terminator warns uh, the lack of scope terminator end dash XX X not set with dash w all so yeah and dash f you also have so dash f trace dash f source dash location uh and so on so you've got lots of of similar sort of gcc like um flags that'll seem pretty familiar to you you also have that the the very important dash g which is of course the um enabling of c compiler debugging stack check and trace you also have dash debug which enables all runtime error checking you can also issue the dash o if you want to change the name of the thing that you are compiling out to so if i'm doing cobc dash x dash dash free new dot cob dash o hello world now it's a dot slash hello world to execute that application it's no longer just defaults to whatever is in front of the dot cob and that is COBC. That's what it does. It compiles code into binary format. Pretty simple, or probably not very simple at all, but, but from, from the user's perspective, kind of like all the other GCC stuff, it's a compiler. Getting familiar with that now, it feels pretty comfortable. Now let's talk about COBC run, which sort of brings a lot of perspective to how COBC runs. COBC run uh, is... Uh, an executable, COBC run, and COBC, of course, is the compiler that we just talked about. So COBC run is the name of the next command. I'm just trying to be clear because COBC run might not sound like a, a thing, but that's a thing. That's the that's the command. So COBC run is an is a command to run co GNU COBOL modules. What is a GNU COBOL module? Well, if we do and I forget, can I see any information? No, I cannot. Okay, let's do a, how about cobc dash dash help. So cobc dash help uh, dash dash help, you might remember that dash x was the way that we did the executable uh, program and somewhere in there, oh yeah, here it is, dash m for module is build a dynamically loadable module and that is the default setting of cobc. Remember the first time I compiled hello.cob, I just did cobc hello.cob, and that produced a hello.so file. Dot slash hello.so, segmentation fault. Well, let's try this one then. cobc run hello.so, actually dot slash hello.so. Cannot find module hello.so. This confused me for a little while until I realized that what you're really meant to do with cobc run is to just reference the front part of that file name, hello.so. So I'm going to just do cobc run hello. Just drop the .so. And then it locates it and runs hello world. I'm not exactly sure what criteria it's using here. I've tried a couple of different things. Hello.cob. If I open that up, 
I see that there's a thing called program ID, so I thought maybe that has something to do with it. I'll change it to penguin. So now the program ID is penguin, right? But the file is still called hello.cob. So now I'll do cobc hello.cob. That produces hello.so. cobc run hello. Hello undefined symbol hello. Um, I guess I could do cob run c dash dash help, but it doesn't really seem to cobc run dash dash help tells me that dash dash help displays this message that I'm reading. Dash dash version displays the runtime version, and that's that's it. That's the only that's the only thing I know. I could do cobc run hello and then space penguin undefined symbol hello. Um, yeah, there's just there doesn't seem to be any way for me. I, I can't. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be associating. If I move hello.so to penguin.so and then do a cobc run penguin, then it works. So. I'm assuming that the program ID, penguin, and the file name have to match, I guess, or else it doesn't know how to find the thing, which kind of, I guess that kind of makes sense, um, and I guess that's something to be aware of in COBOL. If, if you're writing a module, your program ID needs to apparently match the, the file name of that module. Now as it happens in COBOL, GNU COBOL 2.0 and higher, there is a new option for COBC run, which is a dash capital M, as in module, and that sets the path, the, the COBOL path loader for, oh, COB, COB underscore library underscore path and a module base name, and then you can use cobc run dash capital M uh, along with the, I think the module name and then the, or rather the library name and then the module that you're looking for inside of that, or, or the other way around, I don't know. Point is, this is a COBOL 2.0 uh, feature. I'm not running COBOL 2.0, neither are you if you're on Slack where you're running 1.1, unless you've gone out and sought 2.0 especially, but in that case you probably know about more, more about this than I do, so... Um, anyway, if you're really excited about COBOL, definitely check out GNU COBOL 2.0, or the 2.0 series anyway, because apparently there are some pretty exciting improvements to that series. Now, let's really quickly talk about COB config, which was the first uh, binary in the list of the package list. COB config, COB C, COB C run. And uh, COB config is, is the easiest one, it's, or the, it's, it's a pretty quick one. Uh, cob-config, and then, of course, if you do it with no no arguments, it spits out a little helpful uh, listing for you. But really, there are two 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 flags that that you I think you're gonna really want to that that you would find useful. I imagine cob-config-libs that tells you the C libraries required to compile uh, COBOL. So in this case, it's dash capital L user lib64 dash lowercase l cob dash lm dash lgmp dash ln curses dash ldb dash ldl. You can do the same thing, except instead of dash dash libs, I'll do dash dash c flags, and it tells me that the c flag I should be using for this is dash f pick. There you go. That's the configuration uh, for for, for COBOL, and I don't know why people sort of, you know, need that or why you would use it. It's just, um, that's available to you. It's a, a bit of a forensics tool, I guess, or an investigatory tool. 
because it's not something that you're going to, you know, you don't use Cobb config to produce anything. It's just, it's an information gathering tool. That's everything for GNU COBOL that I really know. And as I've said, I don't anticipate myself doing a whole lot with COBOL ever. And so I'm going to move on from COBOL to coffee. From COBOL to coffee. That's that's going to be the, uh, that, that'll be the imaginary version of my life story. That'll be my autobiography. From COBOL to coffee. Never having used COBOL, it will not be at all accurate. Anyway, let's go get coffee. We'll come back, talk about more software. Okay, I've got coffee, and boy is it good. Uh, it was quite cold today in New Zealand, so I've had a fire going, and uh, the coffee is just great right now. So anyway, uh, next up is G-Perf, which kind of sounds like a coffee-related term. It's sort of some kind of fancy new percolator, maybe. Um, but G-Perf is actually... Uh, let's, let's actually look at what it comes with really quick. I forgot to do that. Gperf comes with Gperf. Perfect. That's, just, that's what I thought. If you do an info on Gperf, you do get a manual from GNU Project. It's quite the read. It is an interesting read. I don't know for sure that you will understand. If you're if you're like me at all, you, you may not understand what you've read. It, well, no, I should say you will. You may not understand how what you have just read relates to, I guess, the real world. So there's a lot of stuff about hash tables and how great they are and how useful they are. Um, I don't remember ever hearing or reading why they're so great, but I believe from just general kind of reputation, they do tend to increase sort of speed, efficiency, that sort of thing, and that's always a good a good thing. Um, a lot of the examples that I saw were creating hash tables for uh, like parsing options. So I could imagine, for instance, a, a big application or a big yeah program like GCC might benefit greatly from having a hash table f- to look up all those functions. Because, I mean, you look at the man page of GCC and the first eight screens are just listing the potential options. Uh, Git probably would, would benefit from this greatly, and it probably does benefit from it. I wouldn't be surprised. So, um, yeah, apparently gperf is kind of like, well, it's it's good. It, it is apparently a perfect hash function generator, and it's written in C++. The only example that I could sort of wrap my mind around in a, well, wrap my mind around, but also enough to be able to speak about it and be informative at all if you're not familiar with gperf, was a not great tutorial that I found online. Um from from epita.fr. I don't know what that is. I feel like it's a school or something, and it could just be something else. I don't know. But um, there's a tutorial on on the web on a web page there, and it's it's it isn't excellent. It 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 it's weird because it's sort of without warning you, it leads you down a path to error, and, and then from there it starts to recover, which that's a technique that I totally totally um, respect. 
But at the same time, I feel like a little bit of warning would have been nice because I, I just thought I was doing something wrong for a long time. Um, so anyway, I've adapted that little example into something pretty simple. And it's not perfect. Uh, unlike gperf, this is not perfect. But we'll, we'll do it anyway. And I think you'll get the idea of sort of what the what the the idea here is um there are probably absolutely probably better ways to explain this than what i'm about to do and i do apologize for that but um this is i think about as much as i can i can i can manage so gperf it's a source generator which means that it is akin in many ways both syntactically and in in its in its purpose to like flex and bison, uh, bison, bison, uh, bison. So, so the stuff that we've already talked about, um, gperf kind of is a little bit familiar. Um, in fact, the 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 template for for the syntax of of a gperf uh, script or whatever they're called is it looks exactly like stuff that we we did for lex. So, um, for instance, percent curly brace user prologue. That's you. Um, percent curly brace to close that. Gperf directives. Those are directives for Gperf. Percent percent keywords. Those are important. That's the grant. The, those are the the words that you want Gperf to look at and hash. And then percent percent user epilogue. That's you. So a little bit, a little bit awk e as well you know kind of kind of has that structure of, of okay give me give me some some commands and some specifics and then give me the content and then after all that's done give me the end step it's kind of i don't know kind of nice so the example that i discovered has uh, a couple of of the examples or a couple uses a couple of these things it it, it omits the gperf directives uh but it does have a user prologue, and that user prologue starts out with a declaration that we're writing C code. Well, it's it's not a declaration; it's a comment. Um, and then we write some C code. So hash include angle bracket standard io dot h close angle bracket hash include standard uh, um, angle bracket standard lib dot h close angle bracket, and then we close our little um, user prefix or prologue whatever we called it section so that's percent curly brace close that that section off uh we're going to skip the gperf directive section so we'll just do percent percent on the next line and then in the next section this is the keywords the these are the things that that we are telling that, that we're asking gperf to hash for us so that would be uh i'm going to do Again, I'm adapting something here, so I'm just going to do Windows, Mac OS, or Mac OS, and I'll do uh, BlackBerry, because I'm running out of names of proprietary operating systems, and BIOS. That's that's a big evil one, BIOS. Uh, and then percent percent. That was the end of keywords, and now I'm going to do user epilogue. That's int main parentheses int argc, comma, const car, star, star, argv close parentheses and then we'll do a curly brace there so obviously this is the c code so we're just putting the c code right here in the gperf file you don't have to do that you can separate all of these things out but uh, this was a, a pretty quick simple and quick way to, to get everything done so we're just doing it right here so we'll do a four parentheses dash dash or you know minus minus argc comma plus plus argv 
semicolon arg c semicolon dash dash arg c comma plus plus arg v close parentheses if parentheses in underscore word underscore set so the word set is the it's the hash table that's the thing that gperf is creating for us so here it's used a little bit as i think of it as a macro i don't know it might actually get compiled down to a function or something but i i in my mind, in seeing it in gperf like this, I think of it as a macro. Um, parentheses, asterisk, arg v, comma, strength, string length, or str, len. Um, parentheses, star, arg v, and then parentheses, parentheses, parentheses. So if an argument, if we're, we're scanning through the arguments here, if an argument matches the something in the word set, I'm going to print f quote i do not run percent s dot backslash n close quote comma star arg v parentheses semicolon else will print f i do not recognize the term percent s dot backslash n quote comma star arg v parentheses semicolon return zero and curly brace that's all we need. Now this is not a perfect program. It's going to give me some warnings, but it's fine. We'll just ignore the warnings because I don't know what I'm doing. So gperf hello.gperf. Um, it by default just spits out. Oh, I called my gperf hello.gperf. Uh, it could have been like I don't know words.gperf or whatever, but hello seems appropriate because this is my first gperf uh, foray. So gperf hello.gperf. And then I'm going to redirect the output to hello.c. So we're, we're producing a C file from what we've just written. And now I'm going to open up hello.c just to kind of see what exactly that word underscore list is. Oh, not underscore list. In underscore word underscore set. And that is, it looks like it's a constant. A const. So... Yeah, totally const. Uh, and there it is. All there's all the the list of things that I had. Okay, so that's the C code. Now we know. And now I'm going to compile that G that that, that C code with GCC. Hello dot C. Uh, it does give me a bunch of warnings. It tells me that um, well, it tells me a couple of warnings that I am going to ignore right now. So forget that. There it is. There's the thing. Um, and then I'm going to do an ls, yep, and there's my little a dot out. So I can try to execute this now. a dot, dot slash, that's going to be too hard to say. Forget it. I'm going to recompile it with um, just hello. That's now I've got a, instead of a dot out, I've got a hello. Dot slash hello. That's too much to type. Okay, forget it. I'm going to do um, gcc hello dot c dash o. Let's just do... Um, what is it? Gperf? Yeah, so G there. Now I've got a command in my current directory called G. So dot slash G, nothing. I'll just I'll just do dot slash G, nothing happens. No, it doesn't crash, it runs, it just doesn't do anything. Dot slash G foobar. I do not recognize the term foobar. Dot slash G windows. I do not run windows. Dot slash G macOS. I do not run macOS. Dot slash G, I don't know, Android. I do not recognize the term Android, and so on. So, and, and of course, I could do, for instance, um, BIOS, and then FUBAR, and well, I'll just do two. 
and I get two outputs. I do not run BIOS. I do not recognize the term foobar. Pretty cool stuff. That's gperf. That's as much as I know about it. Uh, if you're interested in it, definitely go read the GNU uh, the the info file because it is it's it is an informative document. It's just really really I feel like it's pretty high level. There's also a really good. Um, I would say intermediate level, and I mean, I, I'm realizing that intermediate from based on what? I don't know. You know, if you've never written any C code or C++ code, then maybe this isn't intermediate, but um, here's here's a cool article in, anyway, and I'll, I'll surely remember to link to this in the um, show notes. I mean, it's, it's a bit old, I guess. It was archived on 2019 and written back in, I don't know, I thought I saw a date like 2007 or something. Um, but that's okay, because, I mean, not that much has changed here. Uh, so, gperf, using gperf to parse command line options for C and C++, and it, it provides you with all the code. I was I was very close to adapting it for this demo, but um, take a look at listing 7 and just imagine, imagine why I chose not to do that. I mean, it, it's big. It's just, not, it's just really not... It wasn't the ideal. Oh, 2007, yeah. But it, yeah, it it is it is a bit complex, uh, but it is really really good if you want to take a look at it. If you're like kind of serious about learning more about gperf or or hash hash tables and the automatic sort of um, generation of them is really cool. And kind of comparing this to Lex and Bison, I wish I'd known about gperf when I was talking about Lex and Bison because then I would have absolutely or was it Flex? Sorry, Flex and Bison. Uh, because I would have absolutely thrown this in there, just because the syntax itself is kind of, you know, so similar that it just kind of seems like that would have been worth doing. But I didn't know that it even existed at that time, so that is not what I did. All right, let's see what's next, and if it's too big of a topic, then it'll just be a teaser. Okay, let's see what's... Oh my gosh, Guile. Guile is next. Well, that is a big topic. Guile is um, quite famous, at least in my world. It might be in yours as well. I mean, I hear, I feel like I hear about Guile a lot. Guile is the GNU extension language that that's sort of, I guess, you could think of it as almost, um, well, I don't know what you could think of it as. I was going to try to compare it to sort of Python to GIMP or something like that, but, but then GIMP has its own language, or at least it did, so I don't know. Guile is a dialect of Scheme, and Scheme is a, I believe, a dialect or a relative of Lisp, so it's got an interesting lineage, and uh, there, there, there are a lot of very cool projects being done in Guile lately, so I think this could be an, an interesting, an interesting delve into kind of a, um, a, a sort of a, an exciting GNU world, but I'm not ready to do that in 15 minutes. Um, and, and even the one that I do will not be the greatest introduction to it. So, um, yeah, look into Guile until the next episode. Actually, I probably won't get to it the next episode, the episode after. Look into Guile in the meantime. It's a very fascinating little project. I look forward to talking about it in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Not in the next episode. The, the next, next episode. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open a cost level n abilities means cost this class's level becomes n activate this ability only if this class is level n1 and only as a sorcery and as long as this class is level n or greater it has abilities